Man, just uh, if, if being a normal mom is not already tough enough, I know in the last year or so it's been uh, a lot of moms haven't been able to see their kids quite as much. A lot of moms have become, uh, have added to their plate um, a lot of online education and a lot of those kind of just balancing acts. Uh, some of you who have worked careers outside your home have been in your home. Some of you who have been in your home are now out of the house. And um, it's, it's been a crazy year, but I think we could all agree that we would not make it nearly as well through life no matter our age, if it was not for the amazing moms that God has put in our lives. So thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for how much you love people and how you, how you do it so well. And please know that for all the thank yous that don't get said on a regular basis, when all of us stop and take time, we do actually realize um, even just a little bit of what all the amazing thing God used you for in our lives. So thank you so much for all that you do. Um, we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Um, at, at my house, uh, sometimes I've got three boys, uh, 17, 13, and 11, getting ready to go into 14 and 12 this year, uh, along with my 17-year-old. And, I, you know, overall, um, my, my boys are, are, are pretty decent kids. Um, they get into some trouble. They do some boneheaded things. They do some great things. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're averaging out pretty well, okay. Um, and, and I know through seasons of life, they're going to have difficulties and they're going to have challenges. They're going to have successes. Uh, but for the past few seasons that have just been inside of our house, there's something about raising boys where you see kind of that, that, that glimmer inside of them where they feel like, you know what, today's the day that I'm a man. And there's a little bit of them who, when, when, I, when I come at them over something, they kind of they, they feel challenged. And, you know, to a certain extent, I, I want them to, to be able to rise to an element of challenge. And sometimes, honestly, I, I look at my own life and I go, you know what, I, I, I realize where I fell as a dad and probably the inconsistencies they see in me probably is enough motivation to challenge me sometimes. But, man, when they challenge my wife, like, I lose my stuff, right? I mean, like, I'm, I'm going, like, this is the greatest human being that I know. Like, what? She's so good to you. Why are you challenged? Like, what inside of you makes you think that this is a wise choice to challenge her? Like, do you realize there is, there is nobody on this planet who would be in your corner like your mom would be? Man, when they oppose her, like, it changes something inside of me. Like, I, I get, like, it makes me angry. Because I look at it, I'm like, with that relationship and the goodness of my wife, like, how in the world could you ever, like, really think that she's not for you? Um... The chapter that we're in today, in chapter 12 in Acts, there's a, there's a really shocking, and just, just spoiler alert, somebody's going to get eaten by worms. Not your normal ending to a chapter of the Bible, but there it is. Um, there's, there's someone, his name's Herod, and he's really going to oppose God. I mean, the God that we look at and say, man, you're such a good father, right? Like we see as creator of this universe and, and the one that loved us so much that he sent his own son Jesus when he knew that people couldn't live good enough lives to make it into a relationship with him. He said, I want to make a free and grace-filled way for you to know me. And he sends his own son, Jesus. Really, it's God in the flesh on earth to redeem us, to get us back to where we should have been all along. And we, we think of a God like that. We're like, how in the world could you oppose someone that's that loving, that full of grace? But in the ways that he opposes him, we may not have the kind of authority in our lives that Herod had, but I think we could probably see some similarities in how maybe a little bit of opposing the Lord flushes out in our life. But we're also going to see, and it's kind of, I mean, it, it's really, you, you got to take note. We're going to see how the Lord opposes the purposes and, and, the, and, the, and, and the drive of Herod 
on this planet. Like he, he stands against him as well. We're also going to see a couple of followers of Jesus Christ play out their part in this story. Um, I've, I've studied this passage. There's about a million outlines that you can come up with to really kind of organize this information and skip around and kind of drive to a point. But, but I, if we can today, if we can just start at the beginning of chapter 12 and really work our way through, um, it, it may not be as organized as a couple outlines are, but, but every time I work an outline on this chapter, I feel like something's left out. Um, so let's just take it from the beginning and work through if we can together today. Um, in verse 1, uh, we're going to start out with some, some unfortunate news. If you remember, it wasn't that many weeks ago, we talked about the first martyr who was Stephen and just the anger and the frustration that took his life. Um, we're getting ready to see who the Bible recognizes as far as his story as the second martyr. We know that because of the persecution of Christians, it, it, it was not very likely that this was the second person who lost their life for their faith, but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the second very notable recorded story that we have. Um, verse 1 in chapter 12, it says, About the time King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James. That's John's brother. They, they were the sons of thunder, if you remember Jesus referring to them that way in the New Testament. So you got James and John, and, and James, his life is taken with the sword. Now, um, because of the Holy Week they were in, uh, it, it would have been a desecration to uh, decapitate someone. So probably just in an elongated execution, he was really just run through with swords. Um, verse 3, it says, When he saw it please the Jews... That's Herod. When he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too, during the festival of unleavened bread. See, here's, here's the first way that we see that really um, Herod is headed in a direction really to oppose what God's up to. And, and one of the most notable steps that, that we can see across humanity, and we can even see, I really think, in our own lives, of where do we know we're really living in opposition to God? We're, we're not in rhythm with the Holy Spirit because, remember, that's what Acts is about. It's not, it's not the acts of the church. This is how God acted through people that followed Jesus as, as really the church began. If you notice, Herod was motivated because it pleased the Jews. In fact, when, when, he, when he executed James, he saw that there were a lot of these religious people that he was really not necessarily on the same side of he saw that it really rallied them around his cause and his position and who he was and the authority he had. He got a ton of support from this. And because it pleased them, he took self-satisfaction, self-glorification for it, and he let that motivate what he did next. He went out and he proceeded then to go after Peter because Peter was, he, he was maybe in some people's eyes, another rung up on the ladder. Hey, I'm, I'm going to go after this guy now. You may say, well, I don't, I don't know that I would act the same way. Well, think about this. Have you, have you ever gone out and, and, and bought something or participated in something um, because you kind of felt like it, was, like, like it was the thing to do, you were kind of going along with some folks, but because you bought it or because you showed up or because you were there, like other people were like, hey, man, this is like, hey, it's great to see you. I'm glad you had this too. Like you, you got some kind of self-satisfaction. Maybe you took a job at some point in your life, and it was just like other people that were around you, other people in that company, you took a promotion, and you just got a lot of praise and a lot of kind of honor for it, and that just inside of you thought, okay, hey, that's enough gratification, that's enough of affirmation that I've done something good, and we've drawn, we've drawn approval from others instead of just saying, hey, Lord, were you faithful, I mean, were you pleased in my faithfulness in that act? 
Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you've connected yourself with somebody that others thought, hey, good job. Like that's, that's who you need to be with. That's the kind of relationship that you need to have. And it really, and, and that affirmation kind of wrote it out. It wasn't, it wasn't, really wasn't a moment where you said, hey, Lord, like, I want to seek you. Is this the person that I should be with? So, so that's one sign that we're living in opposition to the Lord. Now, at this point, like Herod's life is not over. It's not like everything went bad for him. In fact, a lot of this kind of stuff continued. But it's, it's good evidence that we can see to say, hey, there's, there's, a, there's a path with Christ to be on. And then there's another path that I can choose that, that will ultimately lead, unfortunately, to really destruction. Um, because I'm, I'm, really choosing, I'm really choosing to find satisfaction from, from someone else. This was a warning that Jesus gave his disciples. Guys like James, who just lost his life, Peter, who has been arrested. This is some advice and some wisdom that Jesus gave his disciples about really kind of feeding off other people instead of really finding your satisfaction in the Lord. This is back in John chapter 5. He says this to him. How can you believe? Again, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge of, of really good faith in the Lord with how, when, when I go and pursue um, the approval of others. He said, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? I mean, that's a pretty plain statement. Jesus says, listen, you are going to struggle in your, in your walk with him. You're going to struggle in your faith. If you exchange approval with people as compared to really going to God for that. I've noticed that in my life. If I get satisfied because I get a compliment or two, I notice how quickly it, it takes me off of evaluating what I did really and was I faithful. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe you've seen the same thing. Now during this period, it's, it's really unique. And this is a little bit of history, but I, but I think it helps us to appreciate what's happening in the time period that it's happening. So it's going to reference Passover in a second. When it says Passover, it's really just kind of a, a, a blanket reference to really a series of holidays, religious holidays. But specifically, this seven-day period referred to as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. What would happen is this, this was originally instituted by God when the Israelites came out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery. So when they came out, in the Old Testament, leaven represented sin. So when they, when they ate unleavened bread, it was, this, it was a bread that would bake, but it was really super flat and thin. Um, and and the, whole, the understanding of the people was when you put leaven in, when you put yeast in, it makes the dough rise. It, it's puffed up, but, but once you put it in, it's impossible to take it back out. It's not like you can, you can unleaven bread. You can take it back out. You can't draw it back out. So they would have this festival, and God gave them these instructions. He said, listen, think about this leaven, this yeast, representing sin. When it's in your life, yes, it, it makes everything feel puffed up, but it's really not what I want for you. So he said, okay, let's take seven days. And God's, God's law was, in celebration of, of, of his deliverance, his, his instructions were, remove all the leaven from your home. Now, you may say, okay, that's great. Just go grab the big container of yeast and just throw it out in the yard. Do you remember having little kids, and they got up to the age where you started, you started buying them um, those puffs? Um, and then you realize, I'm wasting all my money on puffs, and you just started buying like a 50-gallon drum of Cheerios because you're like, you know what, same cost. And you just started shoveling Cheerios in a Ziploc bag just as fast as your arm. You're like, you got tendonitis from it, and you're just like, tennis elbow is not going to keep me from just, just shoving stuff in. And then, and then it's not like your kids were like, oh, great, I'm going to take this bag, and I'm going to take it out one Cheerio at a time, place it in my mouth, chew completely, swallow, not let a crumb hit anywhere. 
My kids, I just told you, 17, 13, 11, still finding Cheerios everywhere. Everywhere. I've replaced carpet in my house this year. I've shot back Cheerios. I don't know how they got under the carpet. Evidently, my kids are just a little bit skilled with a carpet knife and getting it out and like, hey, I'm going to shove this in here just to get my dad. One day, it'll be 10 years later, but he'll just, he'll wonder. And it, it, like, this is part of what they're doing to me. But, but I'm, I'm finding this stuff everywhere. Because if I was going to eliminate every bit of anything that had that kind of, um, that kind of compound in it for my house, it would take a lot of work. And see, that's the whole point. God was trying to show them, hey, once sin gets in, it is a lot of work to get it out. It's a lot of work. So what's the best case scenario? Don't let it in. Well, here during this festival, during this festival, it's not the sin that was in everybody's homes that was going to be so hard to get out once you see this. It's the sin that was in their hearts. It was the sin that was controlling their lives for someone like Herod who was not saved and he was just really just under sin. He was not being led by the Holy Spirit. You look at his decisions and it, and it seems at all these points so diff, it would be so difficult for him to really just set that aside to really turn to the Lord even though the invitation was there. So during this period where everybody's supposed to be mindful of this, you've got unbelievers and believers interacting during a timeline and really the biggest decision is not how are we going to celebrate or who are we going to hate or who are we going to persecute. The big question is really, how does sin get out of our lives? How do I live a life where I'm not opposing this God that is so loving and so gracious and live instead for him instead of against him? Now, the living for him looks a little bit confusing. James has lost his life. Peter is in prison. There's many others that we're going to see what they're up to in a second. It says, after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers, each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So, man, what, that seems like an extreme number of people just to guard one prisoner, especially a prisoner who's, who's preaching love and grace. See, the track record at this point of time, if you read through Acts um, and, and you look at the resurrection of Jesus, Christians have this uncanny ability to get out of places that they seem to be locked in, right? Jesus in a, in, the, in a grave, he gets out. Peter is getting ready to get out now for the second time. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny. It's almost comical when you read these stories. You would think people would go, hey, there must be something to this. But in fact, it's just it's, a, it's an example of grace and salvation. We get out of the place that we're locked in, even though we shouldn't be, and we can't really get out on our own. We can't get out on our own. It's, it's where God brings us out of. So when you see Peter come out of prison, when you see Jesus come out of the grave, it's just all these visual reminders of, hey, that's me in salvation. That's you in salvation. I'm, I'm, I'm dead in sin. I'm controlled by it. I'm locked down by it. But God brings me out to live a life new for him. So he's now, they're now the Passover. The intention was once these religious holidays were over, he was going to bring Peter out, not just to, hey, show him off, show him how serious he was, but it was going to be the ending of Peter's life as well. So Peter, this is verse 5, please note this, and if you're taking notes, I know we, we did these Acts journals, and, and, and I am not the easiest person to really take notes with. Sometimes I have points on the screen, sometimes I don't, um, and, and I, I pray that God just puts his word in your heart because I know my ADHD, I, don't, I can't follow it, so I don't know how you do. Verse 5, um, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying 
fervently to God for him. What is the right response for us to help someone that's, that's a brother or sister of Christ, especially in need? What is the right response? What is oftentimes the best response in how we can assist someone to pray fervently? That word fervently, it doesn't mean that, it, that prayer was their attitude. It means that prayer was their practice. And I think sometimes we excuse ourselves out when we read scriptures like, you know, always have this mind of prayer. We think, okay, prayer's an attitude. It's kind of this, this place that I just kind of live in. I'm always mindful of what God is doing. Are you always mindful of what God is doing? I'm not. Like, I drive the same places you go. I deal with some of the same people you deal with. I, I, I've been in Walmart four times in three days and stared at the one line that's open and 400 people that are doing self-checkout. Wasn't that a job like three years ago? Like somebody actually would be employed to like actually scan your stuff for? Like 400 people in a line, or, or the one line. I don't always think about, God, what are you doing in this moment? Like I don't look at those lines always and go, you know what, this is my mission field right here. I'm looking at that line going, do I need the stuff in my buggy? Like if I walked out now and just went home without all this, would I survive? Maybe you're just a better Christian than I am. <laughs> prayer is not the attitude that we live in. It proves itself over and over again. We don't live in an attitude of prayer. Prayer has to be what we're actively, fervently doing. Um, really talking to the Lord in a real conversation. Um, it is scary sometimes. I find it scary in my life. When I, when I get to the end of the day and think of something I need to pray about and begin to pray and then realize, I have done this very little today. It's, it's a frightening thought. That we just, by God's goodness, make it through so many days without really sincerely, fervently talking to him. They went on Peter's behalf to the Lord. Why? Because we're trying to change God's mind? No, but historically through the Bible, God shows. And Jesus tells some of the most ridiculous stories, it seems like, about the response of God's heart to his people when they fervently pray. He uses an example like um, a friend that shows up at your house at 2 o'clock in the morning asking to borrow a cup of sugar. And the person inside is like, man, my whole family's in bed. I got, I got like 13 kids. They're stacked up in front of the door. I can't get you sugar right now. And, and it's the persistence of the friend that ends up getting a response from the one that owns the house. He talks about a woman who, who really was, was done a great injustice. And, and, a, and a judge just, he, he wasn't having compassion at all. But because she kept showing up at court day after day after day to go, I want to plead my case, I want to plead my case, that judge finally says, okay, let's, I'm, I'm going to do something about this. It's not that God is indifferent, but, but God's heart already knows the passion that we're going to come to him with. So when he sees it, he just he's there in agreement with it, that that's the kind of attention that we need to be giving him. So in many ways, the Christian must um, pray. That's the number one way we can assist people. And if you ever wonder, is, is it really doing good that I'm praying and I've been praying for years? Yes. Yes. Um, if we had time to sit down and talk through the conversation, I've never had a conversation that somebody's worked with me through or I've worked with um, someone else through that we can't come up with the evidence that God is in fact working when we have so much prayer going on for so long of a time. Verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, um, that's, a, that's a rap artist, that's not a reference to him, this is way before this, um, was sleeping between two soldiers while the, some of y'all that are laughing, I know what kind of music you listen to now, um, <laughs> was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. 
striking Peter on the side. You know what that means? It means he was asleep. The angel, if you ever wonder, like, is it godly for me to just smack my kids awake in the morning? Evidently, because it was a messenger sent from the Lord, and he just went, wham, just right in the side, right? Just catch that rib. He, he smacks him on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you. I mean, this sounds like a set of Mother's Day instructions, right? Get your coat. Don't forget your sweater. Like, I mean, it, this is what the angel is saying to him. Um, he says, put on your sandals. And he said, uh, wrap your cloak around you. And he told him, and follow me. And he went out and followed. And he did not know that the angel did what he did was really happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. In other words, he thought he was still dreaming. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside, passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. So I want you to note this for a second. Um, this Peter leaving the prison was not Peter's escape. I know in life so many times when we get stuck in really difficult situations, our strategy is i got to figure out how to get out of what's going on, either by addressing it and handling it or by running away from it, by burying our head in the sand and just kind of keeping going through life, muscling through it, whatever our strategies are being. Many times I think we feel like i, I got to figure out how I can get through this, how I can get out of this. And, and when we really want to say, okay, God, what does it mean, like in Acts, for us to live by the, by the direction and guidance of Jesus, Jesus controlling my life? Here's how it looks. It, it's not me escaping. It's God delivering me out. And when we seek him and when we follow him where he leads, he can get us out of more things than we can get ourselves out of. He can help us through. He can break chains that we can't break. He, he can just free us from things that should always make us feel guilty if we just follow the logic of psychology. He, he, can, he can help us to change and move away from sin, sin that really is enjoyable in our minds and our desires, and we want to do it. So many of those, these things God really can do, especially when we just follow instead of try to take control. And I'm guilty of that many times. I, I want to strategize myself to get where I think I need to be, and I, and, I, and I don't ever really end up maybe where God wants me to be because he has a plan and he has this power to free him. Now, I love the fact that when, what does it say that he really kind of awoken to and how God had moved? Notice this. Um, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me, rescued me. What did he rescue him from? From Herod's grasp. Um, the person that really seemed to have control and had the power to make Peter's life difficult and even take his life. He said he, he, he freed me from his grasp. In other words, the people that you think that really want to do you harm and, and, and try to manipulate control, God can just take you and just move you out of their control. This is really the first way that we see that God opposed Herod. He took, he took the very person that Herod was after, and he said, nope, he's mine, and he moved him. What else did he free him from? From Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. I think one of the greatest things that God can free us from are the chains of expectations that we live under with others. I mean, sometimes you can just, and these, many times, if you're like me, these are the chains that others don't always put on me, 
but I just, I, I just kind of almost take from them and I just assume they have and I just wrap them around myself when it comes to really struggling with people's expectations. And he was freed from both of these things. Verse 12, as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. This is where the fervent prayer was going on. Verse 13, he knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the other gate, at the outer gate. That doesn't really make sense, right? This is the person that you are passionately praying for. He's knocking at the door. He's saying, will someone let me in? She's so excited. She doesn't open it. She doesn't hug him. She doesn't scream and do whatever like gasp that she does. She just leaves him, runs in, and says, hey, everybody, the answer to our prayers is just outside the door. This is the people's response. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. In other words, that they said, you know what, it's prob- he's probably already been taken from this world. That this is probably just a, a, a lingering memory in your mind. This is probably just the soul of Peter um, in, in, in glory, something you're hearing, something that God's allowing you to see. That, that they're assuming this is not him at all. Peter, however, kept on knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. How frustrated would you be if you were Peter? It's me. Rhoda, 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 and you're just, I mean, you're pounding on the door. Everybody's having a discussion on the inside. Is it him? No, it's not him. It's probably not the answer to our prayer. Just, I mean, this just banging on the door. You know, I think this is a really good example of how many times in our life we do, we, we passionately pray over things. We passionately pray over things. God sends an answer, but then we step back and go, is this the answer? This could be the answer. Let's go talk about it and see if this is the answer. Does everybody agree this is the answer? And the whole time I'm like, like God's like, hey, I, it, answer. It's, it's, but you've got to open it. You have to be able to receive what I'm telling you. And so many times what God sends to us, the message that he has for us, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday night, whenever it is where God just kind of quiets us for a moment and we've been praying over something, something's really been heavy on our heart. There, there is an answer. There is some information that God has sent us. There's some insight he wants to give us. And, and, and so many times, it's, God does this. He stops, as Jesus says in Revelation, I, I stand at the door and knock. He's going to come to us and, and allow us to choose to receive it or not. And that insight is really what we need. It's really what we want. And what do we have to do? Just, okay, that next step. All right, Lord, I trust you in faith that this is you speaking, so I'm going to open the door and I'm going to listen. I'm going to look. I'm going to see. I'm going to investigate. Remember we talked about that? Investigate. Find out when you see evidence. And is the evidence enough to to go on? Is the the evidence enough to get us to participate in agreement with what the Lord is doing? So they finally did. They opened the door and he's there. Verse 17, um, motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell these things to James. Now, that's not the James who just lost his life. That's the James who is the half-brother of Jesus. You, you, you know when he started, you know when James came to faith? After the resurrection. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with him. He saw his ministry. He heard his mom talk about him over and over. He's thus the perfect son, right? He, he heard all of this. 
James, seeing the risen Lord, came to faith in Jesus. If you've, had a, if you've had a long walk, a long struggle with really coming to faith in Christ, you're in pretty good company. If you know somebody who's seen it and seen it and seen it and heard it and heard it and heard it, and you're like, you know what, their, their, their walk with Christ is just not there yet, maybe they really haven't committed their heart to him, you know, guess what, the, historically they're in pretty good company. So he tells them um, to let him know, because at this time, um, that same James is actually taking over a lot of leadership in the Jerusalem church. Um, he says, tell James and the brothers, he said, and he, and he left and went another, um, another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. It's got to sound like it's on replay. I love the fact that they're actually having this discussion again. Um, after Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. He is, he is done with patience with these Christians getting out of places that they shouldn't be able to get out of. And, and, and in his anger and his vengeance, what did he do? He, he, he's, this is one of the times we see, and we're getting ready to see it again. He, he starts to take the, the role of God. In other words, he's deciding out of his anger, you didn't please me, so I'm going to take your life. He's, he's playing out God in his own life. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Verse 20, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is all connected. I know it's, it sounds like some different cities, but stick with me here. This is all related. You ready? He, he had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together, they presented themselves before him after winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So Herod, as king, had control over where they could disperse foods and resources to help people that were in need. And here are rulers from these two different cities, and they come in, and, and, and they, they went to someone who was close to Herod, someone that was in charge of kind of his bedroom, and he made sure that everything was there and in place and comfortable, and food would come in and out when he wanted it. So this is somebody who had an intimate audience with Herod, and, he, and he went, they went to that person and kind of to the side, made some agreements, probably slipped them a little bit of money or something like that, maybe a bribe or two, and said, hey, get us in there, get us in front of him because we have great need. Isn't it great? You see the comparison between Herod as king and Jesus as king? We don't have to bribe Jesus to listen to us. We just simply have to come in faith to him. Kings of the world, you, you, you got to bribe them. you got to let them know that you have something to offer them. God, in his great love for us, both accepts us and redeems us while he realizes we don't bring anything to the table of value. Isn't that great? It's so awesome. This is, this is Herod's response. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of God and not of a man. Herod dressed himself up. I mean, he looked right. He, he, he delivers this amazing speech to the point where people are like, oh, you, in flattery. Herod, you, you, your voice reigns over us like, like a god, not a man. Like, you've got such authority and such power. You, you're like no human. And you know what Herod just did? He just didn't stop it. He didn't just find satisfaction in other people liking what he did. He took glory from people's hearts of worship. That's what you do. When, when people say, that is God, that's worship. That's a form of worship. It's not correct worship. It's not aimed in the right place. But, but that is worship. And he took the worship for himself. And in his heart, saw himself being able to play out in his authority and power, God in his life. And, and to that, I would go, oh man, I'd never do that. But, but I do. 
when, when I look at my life and I go, hey, I can make all my decisions on my own. I can get this life right based on what I know and what I can figure out and what I can strategize. Then I'm playing the part of God. Hey, listen, when I worry instead of pray and really cast that burden on the Lord, I'm playing the part of God as if I'm, my shoulders are strong enough to keep that and be consumed with it and, and really say, I, hey, I can, I can process all the emotions and all the thoughts of this instead of saying, God, no, I need your help. I'm playing that part of God. And that, and that way, I'm opposing the leading of his spirit in my life. Luke 22, Jesus gave warning over this kind of thing happening. He, he talked about how people with authority lorded over their people. Herod held over these people's heads. I've got food that can help you. I've got what you need. And he said, okay, I'll exchange it if you worship me. So that's not what God does. And God's goodness, even when I don't worship him, I get a lot of his goodness. And, and my guess is maybe you've experienced some of the same thing too. Verse 23, at once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. I think it was Kevin Bacon. You ever seen the movie Tremors? It's one of the worst movies ever produced. No offense. I know this is going online. Kevin Bacon, we always would welcome you here at our church. Um, but I believe it's so difficult to watch that everyone should have to watch it. Like, I think, you all, I think it's a rite of passage as, a, as, a, as an American, as a human. You ought to have to watch them on top of a rock just shooting these horrible, nasty things, right? This is not the eaten by worms that happen. In fact, if you go, there's several historical writers at this time that talk about Herod's, King Herod's death, and it talks about the intense pain that he started to experience on his insides, and that that was physically what was discovered um, was the cause of his death. Sorry, I know most of your faces are totally disgusted. If you're at home and disgusted, um, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. So this was God's response to Herod. But now notice in verse 24. But the word of God spread and multiplied after they completed their relief mission. Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. So what, what did Herod do? Let's, let's just make sure that we're caught up on this story. Herod um, exchanged glory with other people. He got approval from other people, and it was enough to satisfy him in, in the felt needs of his life. And, and then he allowed that to to lead into other decisions. And by that, he opposed God because the, the approval was already always supposed to come from God. What else did he do? He played the part of God out in his life. And ultimately, he died like so many will do without Christ into eternal separation from God. And, and this is a horrible, sad story. This isn't, I don't present this as like, hey, we're on the right side, isn't this great? No, this is horrible because anyone who dies without Christ is a tragedy. Because the grace is so real and so free. I don't tell you this as a celebration, but, but it, there is a real separation between following Jesus and rejecting him. And this is what it looks like to oppose God. It, it, it can look like successes and failures in life, just like a Christian's. But the ultimate ending is punishment and separation from God. And, and God didn't just tolerate it. God is going to continue his work even when people oppose him, even when it looks like they're doing okay. How did God oppose what, what Herod was after? Number one, he freed Peter. He freed the one that he wanted to trap and kill and persecute because God still had plans for Peter on this planet. He also, as he continued down, he didn't just free Peter. Um, he takes Herod's life. 
which is the, the word of God lived out. And, and, and finally, he, he opposed Herod by when Herod's life ended and the punctuation was on his life, God proved that the kingdom was still growing and still moving forward. We see the church growing coming out of this, not shrinking down. We say, man, that's awesome. But there's also some parts of this story that you can really kind of wrestle with. You remember James? You remember the very first few verses? I mean, it's, it's great that Peter receives this freedom and, and this kind of deliverance. But it kind of also makes you wrestle with the story of James. God frees Peter because he still has purposes and plans for his life, but, but James's life was taken? That's a tough one, right? Because our, our faith... If our faith in Jesus is really going to be strong and really going to make it through life, we got, we got to look at the Bible, even God's Word, and say, okay, God, help me understand this. Your love and compassion and your freedom was there, but then in another situation, James didn't receive that same freedom. Well, and stay with me on this, because I think this is really meant to really deepen our walk and our trust with Jesus. Number one, in Mark 10, and this is actually words that Jesus speaks immediately with James in front of him. And sometimes the fulfillment of Scripture is sometimes wonderful, sometimes it's tough, but it always shows us that the Word of God is true. He says this with James immediately in front of him. They responded to Jesus as he said, you know, will, will you really follow me? Will you take up the same kind of mantle that I take up? And, and the response was, we are able, they told him. This is in Mark chapter 10. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In other words, he told some of his followers, he said, listen, you, you, there will be moments where the, what you're getting ready to watch go, happen to me, it's going to be difficult to watch. And for some of you, you, you'll drink that same cup. In other words, you'll experience the same thing. And that doesn't mean that, that, that his presence wasn't there. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, um, I had a chance to share a devotion. And, and if, you, if you remember the story where Jesus prays in the garden, and he says, um, Lord, if, if, if you would let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not my will but yours be done. And then when he comes back and prays the second time, he says, Lord, um, but, but if the only way that this cup can pass is that I drink it, Jesus says, Lord, I, I want you to receive the glory. See, all things, difficult things, all things ultimately will pass through God's guidance, through his purposes. But as believers, no matter our road, easy or heavy, we always have God's presence with us in salvation and throughout eternity. And, and, and there's, but there's also, a, there's also a thing that happens, and it's happened from, from the early stages of the church on, and I want you to notice this, and think about this in, in your own minds and see if you can really walk in faith that this is true. Um, this is out of Philippians 1.14. This is what Paul writes about his own life. He says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. What's the result many times in the kingdom of God when, when believers go through difficult things? Boldness comes in, the, in their heart and in the hearts of other believers and, and, we, and we just step out for the kingdom, it seems like, a little bit more. You ever gone through something really tough in life and all of a sudden you notice you're, you're talking more about Jesus than you have before because you're just that much aware in prayer that you, that you need him working? 
You ever hear about a tragedy or, or something that happens, a little bit of pushback against the church, a, a little pushback against the kingdom, and Christians go, you know what? If my faith is real, then I really need to be genuine about this in the way that I live, in the way that I talk, in the way that I really see people and intentional about how I talk to them about the gospel. When I read this in a book that referenced just the results of Christian martyrs. When selfishness is stripped away from the lives of Christians, the results are faith, boldness, distractions are stripped away, and people grow courageous when they come face to face with eternity. And see, here's the thing, and sometimes I think just a healthy perspective sometimes really helps us because I don't think any of us really want to go through real difficult times in life. Like, nobody just wants to go, you know what, man, man, just, uh, I'll, I'll be James in this story instead of Peter. No, we, we all want to be Peter. We always want to, we want to be the one that, hey, even when we feel locked down, Lord, Lord just free me, just liberate me. We, we love that story. But let's think for a second, because as believers, when we're saved, it's, it's, remember, it's in three parts. The Bible talks about how we're saved when the relationship begins. In other words, the, the debt of our sin is erased and taken care of. As we live on this earth, we are being saved. God's working on us in righteousness. We don't lose it. The Lord's presence is always with us. No one plucks us out of his hand when we truly belong to him. But it's a development of our life in salvation. And ultimately, when we go to eternity, when we receive a, a, a glorified body, when we, when we exist like Jesus exists, we, we are saved permanently. And even when we don't think about it because of how good our life is now, that is our eternity. Hey, Troy, would you help me out for a second? Um, would you take this, and, and if you'll just go, just unwind that as far as you can. If somebody can open those doors for me, if you'll just go... Um, as far as you can with that. It's about 100 feet, Troy, so I really don't know um, how far you're going to get. If this, if this clotheslines you, um, we, don't, we don't have money. You can't sue us. Um, I mean, we have some, but we'd, we'd prefer to use it for the kingdom instead of payouts. Yep, just keep going. Hey, just tell him if he hits the door, keep going. Sorry, some illustrations just take a little bit more time to develop. How's he doing? Is he out the door? Yeah, just keep going. We just need a, we need a shout when he's, he can, he's pretty loud. Is he good? All right, Troy, you, you good? All right, so everybody knows where Troy is, right? You, like, you trust me on this? He's at the other end of the rope. All right, Josh, if y'all will just shut those doors. Yep, you can shut both of them. Now, you, you do trust that Troy's still on the end of this rope, right? I mean, there's tension still there, right? We, we believe we know where Troy is. But with those doors closed, I mean, realistically, though, can we, can we really see him? I mean, I know there's windows. Please don't, like, pick apart my illustration. Um, but, but can you really see Troy? No. See, my life is just the very beginning of this where I'm holding it in light of this really representing eternity. So really, even for James, if he lost his life, what seems like early, based on the scope of eternity with Jesus, this being the promise, the full completion of all that God is doing in us, and, and this will never end, does that change our perspective of, of how James came out in chapter 12 versus Peter? He said, well, Peter got more time. Okay, then maybe Peter's right here. 
Because at some point, my time here, your time here, will still come to an end. But the goodness and grace of God is forevermore so far beyond what we can see. But we're just called to believe that He is still there. And this goes as far back and is proven in their lives just like it is ours. Somebody wouldn't mind letting Troy know that I said thank you wherever he's at. And if, if, he, if he feels led to wind that back up partially before the next service, it would be awesome. Can I, can I tell you this? Um, this story, and, and, and maybe many times you've heard your mom tell you when you were a kid, hey, listen, you know, you go to school and, and things are going on. You know, don't, don't choose sides. I, I'm not telling you to say, okay, I'm going to choose a side this morning. But I do want to ask you, do you know that you're following Jesus? Do you know that you belong to him? Do you know that he has really redeemed you, which means bought you back for a purpose? And that purpose, if we could all read our own stories, it would blow our minds, freak us out. We wouldn't be able to handle it. So so we all have a question mark of what's ahead. But do we believe that Jesus is, is there? Do we believe that even though we can't see him always, that that eternity future is still so much greater than than what my past has been or what my now is or even what my next few years could be? Do we really believe that? Because if we believe that and we just faithfully follow him, then he will take care of all of it. He will do the freeing when there's freeing to be done. And and that can be from expectations or control or or whatever it is. He he can do all the, the liberating that he will do. And we will find ourselves in just the right place, in just the right moments of life, if we faithfully follow him. But if we live in opposition to him, in ways like controlling our own life, and and trying to really just totally hold a tight grasp on that, our thoughts and ideas and our our opinions, or or just finding satisfaction and, and approval from others and really not going to him for that, to say, okay, God, is my life what you want it to be? How could, I, how could I change in one way, Lord, for you this week? If we live in opposition, the journey and the ending does not lead us closer to him. We're not going to go, oh, wow, we did all of this for me, and I just bumped into you, God, on the way. God is calling us, but he's also calling us to live faithfully. Would you mind bowing your heads for just a minute, and if you're at home, if you will, just... It's kind of setting aside distractions. You're really thinking through with us this morning. Um, God's love is great. It is. And, And we can't judge God's love and his goodness by all the circumstances that we see in life. I mean, this story presents two Christians, two people that are saved, James and Peter. One has his life taken. One is freed to go give testimony that there is prayer being answered of the faithful. There's also someone who just selfishly lives by his own designs and finds a difficult end. So where in this story do we find ourselves? And you know what? That question is sometimes the most dangerous because I can be so egocentric that I look at it and say, okay, God, where am I at the story? You know who, we're, who I believe we're really meant to find in this story? God. We're meant to see him and see what he does. See his faithfulness. That even in the, in, in the taking of James's life, it was really God that was taking him home. At Peter's arrest, 
When, when everybody expected things to go a certain way, God said, no, I can lift you above expectations. I can pull you out of other people's control. But for people who say, God, I'm, I'm going to be God of my life, we see God saying, okay, I'll let you make that decision. So as we see God in this, then how does he call us to respond? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would love to talk to you about what that looks like this morning. In a one-on-one conversation, I'll be very honest with you, I'm asking for a one-on-one. If you're watching online, then then through email, through phone, through text, through however, can start a one-on-one, really asking for that. Not because you'll find all your answers from me, but but I just want to share with you what God's Word says. And His Word is true. It says that if we believe in Jesus and we confess Him, that God will save us. That's not cheap grace. Because Jesus says, hey, listen, it'll come with a cost. I'm calling you to follow me. That's what we've got to be ready for with our whole heart. Not fully understanding it, but believing it and trusting it for it being the best path for our life. If you know that that's your decision this morning, you pray that prayer, then then we even have cards and we have things online that you can check and let us know, hey, I I became a Christian today. I decided to follow Jesus. But we want to walk through the great life that God is going to lead you through step by step together too. We want to have conversations. We want to get you connected in community. We want you to serve. We want you to be here. But but we want to see the evidence of what God does and we want to celebrate it. It's not about what we want to put you into a mold for. We just want to learn how to follow Jesus together side by side and all the things that it will prompt us to do. God, thank you for this time. As we worship you, as we sing, Lord, help us to just point our own heart and our own thoughts to Jesus. Help us to show others who he is and help us, God, just to leave here more in love with Jesus than when we came in. Lord, realizing that he does want to free us and liberate us from the bondage of chains and guilt and expectations. Lord, we can't live up to all the things that we put on ourselves, but Lord, we can live with Jesus and be at peace every day of our life. I believe that. Lord, there's prayers that we we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't see answers. But God, right now, I believe that the answer is right outside the door. We just need to open it up and open up the door of our heart, Lord, to receive it and really listen to you for what you're saying and listen to evidence as Peter shared about what you're doing and then live on that evidence. God, we need to stop opposing you by just being satisfied with other people's approval um, or, Lord, seeking to make decisions off of what others guide us toward or steer us towards. And, and, God, we need to stop being God in our own life. Lord, we see you, God, all through this story. So, Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, we even see you in the death and the, the taking of the life of James. God, I thank you just as Troy stepped outside this building. Lord, I know sometimes we, we feel like and we think that eternity is so far away. But, God, we also realize that, that, that just with one, with one word, with one cry out, I could speak to him and he could speak to me. So, Lord, you are just that close to us this morning. So, Lord, as we draw close to you and as we want to see you and experience you, Lord, help us to just give attention to you and glory to you now. Lord, if there's someone that today is their day of salvation, Lord, we celebrate that with you. And, Lord, help us to be faithful as a community of believers together to pursue faithfulness and righteousness as we follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?